0: I'm going to take Stuart's lead from last week and uh, be down on the floor here and see uh, how this works. Um, As we were uh, first uh, touring this building and trying to figure out how we were going to make different things uh, function in this space, we had lots of different ideas, and um, they told us not to do anything right here because all of those stage lights won't light this space and you see how many of those stage lights have been on week after week. And so that is just kind of irrelevant. So I'm going to try down here. This seems a little bit more comfortable. So um, uh, it was uh, great uh, for Laura and I to be away last week. Thank you, Stuart, for, uh, for preaching for us and for others, for, for filling in for us as we were on some vacation, just the two of us. Uh, great week away and uh, time uh, together going to Seattle and uh, enjoyed that. So thank you for... For just the opportunity to do that and to be able to, to get away. Um, as we, we get into our time this morning, um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about disappointment lately. I know that's not a great thing to start off with coming back from vacation, uh, but thinking about disappointment. Um, and uh, Riley, thanks for the songs this morning, uh, talking about the promises of God and the faithfulness of God. But there are times where we are singing these words that we're not feeling, right? We talk about the faithfulness of God, we talk about the promises of God, and and we know that those are true, but there are things going on in our lives that are inconsistent with those promises and inconsistent with the truths that we know about who God is. And so we sing, great is thy faithfulness, and sometimes it's everything we can just to force ourselves to believe that as we sing it because our lives have disappointment in them. Things aren't going as planned. We can be disappointed with a variety of things. Just like the word love, disappointment has has all these different levels of meaning, right? So you can love pizza or you can love your spouse. Uh, You can be disappointed losing a, a board game or you could be disappointed in losing a job. There's all these varying degrees of what disappointments can be. But life can be full of disappointments, from, from the small things to the big things. When things don't go as planned, they don't go as expected, not the way that you wanted them to be. I was going through my, my old sermon notes, looking for something completely irrelevant to this, and stumbled upon uh, this sermon from 2011. Eight years ago, uh, there was this sermon that I preached um, at the branch as I was filling in for one of the, the series. So I had a, a one Sunday to preach. And the topic that was assigned to me, unfortunately, was God being greater than our disappointment. Uh, That's a great Sunday to step up and fill in for preaching, right? Talking about the theology of disappointment and pain and discouragement. That was great. Thank you for that. Uh, But I was going back through my introduction, reading through that, and and this is what caught my my attention. I, I said in my introduction... I struggle with sharing about disappointment because I've never really gone through any of the extreme cases of disappointments. I don't want to seem flippant or trite in what I say about disappointment. I immediately took a picture of that and texted it to Laura and said, See, I jinxed us. (laughs) (laughs) That in my youth of eight years ago, I I said, "Ah, I've really not gone through anything that disappointing, but I'll try to talk about it anyway. With very little credibility, very little experience, and boy, have those eight years added a lot of life and gray that, that, that we go through these times, that over those eight years, I, I feel like I can speak a little bit more credibly with what is disappointments. Having raised two teenagers, having, having hope, having moved to a new city, go, going through a variety of different things where it's like, okay, life is not as easy as I would like for it to be, that I have these desires, I have these expectations, and they're not always fulfilled in the way that I would want them to be fulfilled, and so disappointment is, is any time that a person or, or a situation fails to satisfy our hope and our desire and our expectation. Hopes, desires, expectations. How many of us have had hopes and desires and expectations in our life, right? We've all had those. And when they don't go as planned, we find ourselves in this place of disappointments. I expect people in my life to behave a certain way, right? I have these expectations placed on others in my life. And when that person is a grocery clerk and those expectations aren't met, that's kind of annoying. But when that person is a spouse or a close friend and I have expectations that I've placed on them and those expectations are not met, now my world is crumbling around me. And so we're in these close relationships. We're in certain situations and we expect them to work out a certain way. We, we go to a job expecting it to work out a certain way. We go to a school expecting it to go a certain way. We get into a relationship expecting it to go a certain way. We move into a house expecting it to function in a correct way. <laughs> and those expectations aren't met. We find ourselves in places of disappointments those hopes, those desires, those expectations fall. And of course, depending on how significant the relationship is, is how hurtful and deep that disappointment becomes. None of us are immune from disappointments. They're all over the place. Sometimes small and trivial, sometimes significant and life shattering, disappointments are this all too present reality in our lives. And what happens when the relationship that's causing the disappointments is our relationship with God? That God is the one who is not meeting our hopes and our desires and expectations. That we are, are praying for that thing to come. We're praying for that new job and it never comes. Or, or we're praying for that healing and it never happens. We pray with everything that we have, but we're disappointed because God is not meeting our expectations. God is not fulfilling our desires. And Can we relate to a situation like that? Where God is not doing what we think God should be doing. And we're disappointed. And so when we're disappointed with God, it can really, really rock our faith. It can really impact how we view God and how we view others. And it leaves us asking questions. We ask questions of God. God, why? We're disappointed in his responses. In the book Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey talks about dealing with the disappointment with God. And he says, when we're dealing with disappointment with God, we're really asking one of three questions, or maybe all three questions simultaneously. But the first question is, is God unfair? Because we look at the situation that we're in, and we look at the situation that others are in, and it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem just. That when we face disappointment with God, we we look at the inconsistencies of God. That he brings healing to one but doesn't bring healing to another. That he he reconciles one relationship but doesn't reconcile another. That one is cured but another is not. One is adopted and the other is not. And so how do we reconcile these differences? Is God unfair? Is God not just? A second question we ask in our disappointment with God is: is, is God silent? We pray and we cry out to God. We're we're on our knees in prayer and we we ask until we can't ask anymore and nothing is coming. We're not hearing an answer. And we long to hear from God. And in our disappointment, we think, is God just silence? Does God not speak? We want Him to give us a definitive sign, a definitive answer, but we're not getting that. And so we're disappointed. And then the third question is, is God hidden? Where is God? He just seems like he's he's left on vacation and is not present at all. We talk about having a relationship with God, but, but how do we do that when we can't see him? And so we're disappointed with God because we wonder where he is. That in my pain, in my situation, in my, in my discouragement, in, in the place that I'm in, the, 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 the desires and the hopes and the expectations that are not being met, where is God? I don't see Him. And so we have these questions. Is God unfair? Is, is He silent? Is God hidden? And, and these are not easy questions to answer. Especially when we find ourselves in the pit of discouragement, in the pit of disappointments. And so, if our expectations of God, our desires of God, our hopes of God, if those are not met, then who is at fault? Is it us? Or is it Him? There's a lot of dis- disappointment through Scripture. People who don't get what they expected. You have Abraham who never saw the promise fulfilled. You have Moses who never made it into the promised land. You have generations of people who awaited a Messiah that came long after their death. You have the disciples who still don't see the full arrival of the kingdom of God, and and we still await the, the new heavens and the new earth. Is there disappointment in that? I've shared often that the passage that I go to the most in my times of disappointment, in my times of discouragement, is Psalm 23. That when I don't have the words to pray, when I don't have the the right words, I use the psalmist's words. That when God seems unfair, when he seems silent, when he seems hidden, I go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Is disappointment a dark valley? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so this describes a God who is present, a God who is active, a God who speaks, a God who is not hidden. But once again, in the midst of disappointment, it's hard to read these words. When you're a disappointed person, it's hard to say these things. We, we say them with faith, and they're true, but they're difficult to embrace. When those hopes and those desires and those expectations are not met. And so maybe the words of Psalm 22, one prior, are a little bit easier to read, where the author says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. This is quite the pity party, right? All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Uh, How often do we feel that? There is trouble near and there's no one to help. I'm all alone. So the psalmist isn't as comforting. God seems to be unfair. He seems to be silent. He seems to be hidden. And David is, David is crying out to God day and night and doesn't get an answer from God. He finds no rest. He's mocked and insulted for his faith. Where is God? But David uses this word, this important word, this word yet, that even in the midst of that yet, Yet breaks up the flow of this laments, breaks up this flow of discouragement, breaks up this flow of of, of disappointments. That regardless of all that junk that David's going through, here is the truth. That yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. Yet, you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you. Yet. That even in the midst of these things that are discouraging, even in the midst of these things that have no good answers, yet God is still on the throne. David is disappointed with God. David is discouraged. Yet he never lost faith in who God is. That David isn't afraid to express his disappointment. He's not afraid to, to ask the questions David is doubting God, but God is big enough to handle those questions. God is big enough to handle your discouragement. God is big enough to handle your disappointment and your your questions of why. What David is going through is, is irrelevant to the reality of who God is, that God is on the throne. So in our disappointment, it isn't God who needs to change, because God never changes. In our disappointments, when our hopes and our desires and our expectations are not met, it's us that needs to change, that we need to redirect our hopes. We need to redirect our desires. We need to redirect our expectations. If, if we need to view our circumstances differently, then we need to think differently, We need to look at the world around us differently. We need to go through something that's called reframing. Think of the world of art where you have this this painting and how this painting is framed can completely change that painting. You don't put a work of art in a really cheap frame. You don't put a certain style of art in a different style of frame. That the frame is there to help The image to help the painting really be what the painting was designed to be. And so we need to reframe the things around us. It helps us adjust our expectations, it helps us view others and ourselves in a different way. But reframing is one of those things that's really easy to say you should do and much more difficult to actually do. To actually change our way of thinking, I really like the way I think, I really hold on to that. And so for me to change my thinking is incredibly difficult, maybe the most difficult thing that I can do. Because I am very attached to my way of thinking. And so there are four things that, that, that really get in the way of us being able to, to reframe and rethink and think differently. These come out of, out of a book called Reframe Your Life. And the first one is is stubborn resistance. How many of you are stubborn? Some of you are willing to admit it, and the rest of you are too stubborn to admit it. (laughs) We have this stubborn resistance, right? Like, I like my way of thinking. I don't want to change my way of thinking. We don't want to face the reality that, that what I'm doing could actually be contributing to the situation. That the way I'm thinking, the way I'm behaving, the way I'm, I'm interacting with people around me could actually be a part of why I'm in the disappointing place that I'm in. And so our stubborn resistance says, I play no part of this. I've had no contribution to this. This is obviously somebody else's problem. Peter in Acts chapter 7 says, you stiff-necked people. It says, you stubborn people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. We can be stubborn and resist a change in thinking. And so in our stubbornness, we defend and we rationalize and we we project our problem onto others. We'll even project that onto God. And so if we are going to get away from stubborn resistance, we need this antidote of willingness. That we have to be willing to see that I may be wrong. This willingness to say my thoughts may not be correct. My expectations may be unreasonable. My desires may be misplaced. My hopes may be misguided. I have to have a willingness to even ask that question before I can even begin to think of, rethink about my circumstances. A second thing that gets in the way is arrogant entitlement. Arrogant entitlement. This is, this is the idea that, um, that we are entitled to the best. I deserve the best. It's something that was all the way back with Adam and Eve. We can eat the fruit. We deserve the fruit. This sense of entitlement, that I deserve the best. But this is really adolescent behavior. To have this sense of entitlement that we should always get what is best that we should be able to stretch our freedom to the very limits, that there should be no restrictions or boundaries placed upon us because, of course, we are smarter, right? And so the antidote to this is humility. Peter reminds us that we need to humble ourselves before, humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands that he may lift you up in due time. And we don't define due time. In John 13, we have this example of Jesus where he takes off his outer clothing and wraps, up, wraps himself in a towel and gets on his knees and begins washing the disciples' feet. That if anybody is entitled to the best, Jesus is entitled to the best. And yet he humbles himself to the place of a servant. Third thing that gets in the way, this one's fun, justifiable resentment. Where something legitimately bad has happened to you, you have been the victim of something, something bad has happened, and that, that is justifiable. But we hold on to that and hold on to that resentment and that bitterness, that ah, things have not gone the way I wanted because of such and such. And I'm going to hold on to that. And we become angry with that. And we get angry with God in that. Ephesians four thirty one says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. That this justifiable resentment, this anger, this bitterness, it eats away at us, it consumes us. It changes the way we view the world around us. And now our expectations of others are skewed because of this bitterness. Our desires are skewed because of this resentment. And the antidote for this, of course, is forgiveness. One of those great words that is so difficult. Forgiveness. That yes, something did happen. Yes, you're justified in some way but you have got to forgive that. You've got to let go of that because that, that resentment is only eating up yourself. And then fourth, disconnected isolation. Disconnected isolation. When, when we find ourselves in a place of discouragement and we need to be changing our thinking about expectations and desires and hopes, we disconnect and just don't deal with the hard questions. So the question of is God unfair is an incredibly difficult question. And so if you are in disconnected isolation, you just remove yourself from even trying to answer that question. It's Too hard, I'm just going to sit back and not even try to answer these situations. And so we isolate ourselves from God, we isolate ourselves from one another, we disconnect from others that could help us answer the questions but we know it's hard work and we don't want to put ourselves through that hard work and so it's easier just to step back and disconnect and stop trying we don't even engage in the conversation and so the antidote for this one is intimacy the 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 the, That our relationship with God needs to be strengthened, not weakened through this. That we need to be pursuing God, not isolating ourselves. That we need to be in an intimate relationship with God, but we also need to be in an intimate relationship with one another. That the community is going to help us answer these questions. When we find ourselves disappointed and we're hurt, we need others in our lives speaking truth to us, not isolating ourselves, not disconnecting ourselves. And so willingness, humility, forgiveness, intimacy, these are all the anecdotes that help us reframe our expectations of God and our expectations of others. And so we go back to the question of, is God unfair? Can we reframe that? Can we change our thinking about this question of, is God unfair? We could do a whole other sermon just on that question. But when we look at the fairness of God, it's important for us to to recognize the distinction between God and our physical life, that the two are not the same, that God is existing in a spiritual reality far beyond our understanding, far beyond what we can comprehend. And we exist in a physical reality that has a very small set of rules, much smaller than God. And so if we want to answer the question of God's fairness all we need to do is is reread the story of Jesus was life fair to Jesus when he pleaded my god my god why have you forsaken me was he being being treated fairly and God doesn't really explain all of this to us, and we can't even comprehend all that's going on in the spiritual world of God. We can't really understand it. And God operates within different rules of time and space, so even answering the question of, is God unfair, is just impossible. Yancey says, at a single glance, God knows what the world is about and how history will end, but we time bound creatures have only the most primitive manner of understanding. We can let time pass. Not until history has run its course will we understand how all things work together for good. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And so we have this sense of entitlement, like we should know what God's up to, and God should tell me all of his plans and why this is happening and what's going on. I'm entitled to an answer from God. But we need to shift from entitlement to humility. That God is so much bigger than us, so much bigger than our comprehension so much bigger than our ability to understand. And then the second question, is God's silence? That so we look at, at these characters from Scripture, Abraham and Joseph and Moses and the prophets and Jesus and Paul, and, and they go through seasons where God is silent. And they're asking Him, and they're pleading with Him, and and. And they're doing what's right, but God doesn't seem to be saying anything in return. And Jesus himself pleaded three times that the cup be taken from him, and Paul begged God that the thorn in his flesh would be taken away, but God didn't answer them. And so maybe we need to answer this question of is God silent with another question this question of is the church silent? Because we are, after all, the body of Christ. We're here on earth, filled with God's Spirit to carry out His work. Remember, we are living stones that are all being built together into a new temple. That where, where does the presence of God reside? The presence of God resides in us. So if God is silent, that means the church is silent. Or we're not silent. Listening to the church. We're not engaging in community. We're isolating ourselves. And so, if you are asking this question, is God silent? I ask you, who are you talking to? Who are you in community with? If God seems silent, maybe we need to move from isolation to intimacy, intimacy with the body of Christ. And the community that God has given us to speak to us. And then, third, is God hidden. There's a spiritual world around us that where there is so much more going on than we can even imagine. There are battles being waged, plans being made, realities that exist outside of our own perception. And so God humbles Himself to become the least fearful creature possible: a baby. Maybe for some of you, that is a very fearful creature. (laughs) He humbles himself to become a baby, and Jesus came to make a fearful God accessible, to make a mysterious God known, to to put flesh on who God is. The presence of God went from, from being this the scary thing of the Old Testament, to something that can exist among us and exist in us through the Spirit. And so God reveals himself through Jesus. That we ask, is God hidden? We see God in Jesus. And Jesus points to what God is like. He points to what God promises. He points to what it means to be members of God's family. Jesus shows us the world that God wants he defines and paints a picture for us to, of what it looks like to restore heaven and earth to their original perfection. So if we want to see God, we look to Jesus. Now each of those questions deserve chapters and chapters and sermons and sermons to fully explore: Is God unfair? Is God silent? Is God hidden? That's only scratching the surface. But when I think about these questions of God, I'm reminded of Isaiah 55. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. We do not have God's thoughts. We do not have God's ways. And for many of us, this opens up more questions than answers. But if we will approach it with willingness approach it with humility, approach it with forgiveness, approach it with, with intimacy with God and others, then we can continue to seek the answer to these questions. When we find ourselves disappointed with God, finding, finding ourselves in places where our hopes and our desires and our expectations are not being met, God can handle those questions. And as a community, we can wrestle with those questions together. Well, we trust in God who can do all things, a God whose purpose can not be opposed, a God whose plans we cannot completely understand, but regardless, God is greater than all of our disappointments. Let's be standing together. We're going to enter into a time of, of prayer and communion, a time for us to to look at Jesus. That that if Jesus is the revelation of God to us, then we spend time at the table every Sunday remembering who Jesus is, showing us who God is. And so we take this bread and we take this cup and we're reminded that there is something bigger going on than we can even comprehend. That the gift of Jesus to us is a mystery that we cannot even fully grasp. And our time at the table is just a small little attempt to grasp the love of God for us in taking the bread and taking the cup just a little taste of the goodness of God. And when we find ourselves in places of disappointment, places where where the situations, the people, where God around us are not meeting our hopes and our desires and our expectations, we need to be the family to carry that with one another. So don't isolate yourself. Seek somebody out for prayer this morning. We'll have shepherds down front. Actually, we'll have a shepherd down front and another shepherd singing and everybody else is on vacation. Um, and I'll be down front for a time of prayer. But, but find, find a life group leader. Find somebody in our prayer ministry. Find a friend. Find somebody who doesn't look scary and just, just say, can you pray with me? I need to be reminded of the truth. I need to be reminded of the truth. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the blessings that you give us. God, even when we can't answer the questions that we have, would you just give us a sense of your peace? Give us peace in unanswered questions. God, help us to change our thinking and not hold on so stubbornly to our ways of thinking. God, we thank you for Jesus. We celebrate him this morning in the taking of this bread and the drinking of this cup. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.